Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. A number of you asked how our vacation was. Thank you for asking. We had a, a good time. We, we uh, only went local places, but uh, it was a good time away and with family. We actually worshipped here uh, one of the Sundays we were gone. We sneaked up into the balcony, um, but I, I found out you can't really sneak up into the balcony, but um, we enjoyed that as well as enjoyed visiting a, another church on the other Sunday. Throughout uh, Advent, we talked about the gift that God gave to us, focused upon that from a number of different angles. And today, as we continue the series that was begun last week by Pastor Kelly, The Heart of Worship at St. Andrews, I want to talk about two gifts that God has given to us. Not unrelated, but also not on a par with salvation. It's what we call the sacraments. Now, we hold to two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I want to focus mostly today upon the Lord's Supper and how that is at the heart of worship here at St. Andrews. But, uh, and we're going to have baptisms in a, a couple of weeks, and we always take some time and focus upon that at that point. But I don't want us to forget the importance of uh, uh, baptism, and especially in terms of its relationship with who we are in Christ. Now, neither of the sacraments save us. There is nothing that we can do that saves us. Otherwise, we would get all the glory for it. It's all about what Christ has done. And the sacraments are about that as well. But baptism is that mark that says... We belong to God. And I've often wondered if, uh, you know, we, as the Scripture says, we place water upon the one being baptized. That's what we will always do. But I've often wondered, what difference would it make if that were (coughs) a visible sign? In other words, if instead of placing water on there, that when it dries up, You don't see it any longer. What if it were a permanent mark? So that everywhere we went, people could see, even from a distance, they are bearing the mark of Christ. Would that make a difference in how we act and how we live? Because we are a set-apart people, the people of God. What we will do later is set apart as well. This table is not for the community. Practically everything we do here at St. Andrews, we not only uh, allow the community, but we welcome them. We want them to take part. But then there's the table. And it is for the community of Christ. 
not just for this church, but specifically for those who are in Christ. Now, to the Lord's Supper, I want us to uh, look at what took place, and we will use the Mark passage, beginning with the 22nd verse. It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do thank you for this precious sacrament before us today. For baptism, for the Lord's Supper. Help us, Lord, to realize that those are elements that you use in our growth, and may that be the case today. May we grow in your grace, not because of some magic in them, but because of faith that you increase as we partake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me read to you just a a portion of what our Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, that's the standards of this church. We think it's a good summary of what's in uh, the Scripture. And when it comes to the sacraments, this is what it says. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. We're going to talk later about the sign and seal aspect of it. Immediately, which means directly, instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him. So it's not just representing, but it confirms. It actually does something inside of us when we partake by faith. And then just this phrase, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong under the church and the rest of the world. That's what we were talking about a moment ago, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. So there's an application there. We don't just come and eat and get full, but it equips us to engage with the world where he's called us to be till he comes back. Now, in this passage uh, in Mark, There are three elements, some would say three new elements that Jesus brings in 
with the Lord's Supper. And you, you may ask the question, well, why, why do we have even two sacraments? Well, we, uh, we don't believe that they started in the New Testament. We believe that uh, they were instituted in the Old Testament, that baptism took the place of circumcision, that the Lord's Supper took the place of Passover, of that particular feast. Now today, as I said, we're going to look uh, more at the Lord's Supper. But there's several elements here that are, are clearly connected and focused upon. And the first is the covenant. Uh, the Passover meal, which as we say in the Old Testament, was instituted, was eaten to remind them of a specific event. It was of the time when uh, it's recorded in the book of Exodus. They, uh, God's people were slaves in Egypt. God was releasing them, but he used the various plagues in order to do that. And the ultimate one was going to be the death of people by the avenging angel. The only way that people could be protected was by God's prescription. He said, what you need to do is go inside of your house. You need to kill a lamb. It's very specific uh, in terms of what kind of a lamb it was to be perfect of a certain age and so on. And then take the blood of that lamb and put it over your doorpost and then the angel will not stop at your home, in essence. And it was after that, and that took place that night. Those that were, we could say, covered by the blood, ultimately were freed. Now, we come to the New Testament, and we see Paul speak of Jesus by saying, Christ, our Passover lamb. In fact, over in Luke chapter 9, it's interesting, this is at the transfiguration, and uh, if you remember when we hit that in Mark, that's where Jesus uh, talks with Moses and Elijah. This is the passage in Luke. It says, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, Talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was to uh, he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now you may say, "What in the world does that have to do with it?" Well, the the word in the original language, where it says they spoke about his departure, that word is his exodus. So here we see a connection between the exodus in the Old Testament, and what Jesus was going to do in Jerusalem to provide an exodus, a new exodus for His people, for us, by what He did in Jerusalem. So that today there's no curse. That we don't have to worry about spilling the blood of an animal because the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb has been shed. 
and it doesn't need to be shed again. This table represents that. It represents that covenant. God being our God, preserving us and freeing us from our sin. Now, there's another key element, and that is uh, fellowship with Jesus. Uh, Let me use some other words for fellowship. Communion. Union. Or we could say focus upon Jesus. All of those are aspects of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted, and this this is important, Jesus instituted communion while he was still with the disciples so that there would be no mistake that these elements were just symbols of him. They weren't the same as him. They just represented him. Nobody made that mistake when he instituted it that night. When he said, uh, this bread, this, this wine... They didn't say, oh, okay, well, that bread, you mean that really, really is your body. That wine, that really, really is your blood. Well, nobody made that mistake. They understood that he was saying, this represents those things. They were not magically transformed into something else. Here's the point. In the Lord's Supper, our attention is not to be focused upon the bread and the wine. We are not communing with the bread and the wine. We're not fellowshipping with the bread and the wine or with any kind of inanimate object, but with Christ. Our fellowship, our focus, is completely upon Him. Those represent Him, but they're distinct from Him. We'll talk about that more in a moment as well. And then there's a third aspect (coughs) of communion, and that is the future aspect. In the Passover celebration, there would be four cups of wine, three during the celebration and one at the end, one afterwards. Now, if that worries you, don't worry. It probably was watered-down wine, okay? That's enough said about that, but just to get that out of your mind if you're wondering about that. The three cups would have been drunk during the meal. And then, instead of drinking the fourth cup, Jesus says something rather extraordinary. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Now, it's not over. We know that he has come, he has done his work. His sacrifice is complete. But we still live in this world. We still live in a fallen world. And so there are struggles with sin, struggles with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so there's one sense that we are still in the midst of the battle, even though the battle was absolutely won at the cross. It's practically like uh, in World War II, Hitler's still in the bunker, and 
and uh, trying to uh, direct battles and see that things still take place. And many people died even after D-Day, which was the final blow. And uh, most historians will say that was it. From then on, the outcome of the war was clear. But that was by no means the last day of the war. And there were many casualties along the way. But we're in this interim period, as it were. We're between his ascension and his second coming. Now, it's going to be different when he comes and he then reigns forever and ever. So, what do we know about the sacraments? Well, I mentioned earlier that they are a sign. What are we talking about there? Well, if you uh, go down the highway and you see a sign that gives you an exit number and it says Irmo, we know that. We don't question that. We say, okay, that is pointing to Irmo. That sign is not Irmo. If you took that sign off the signpost and you threw it into Lake Murray, you're not throwing Irmo into Lake Murray. You're just throwing the sign in because the sign points to the reality. That's what these are. These are not salvation. These are not Jesus. They are a sign that points to him. My sister uh, at Christmas gave me a a reprint of a picture that I've had hanging on my wall for some time, but she gave me a sharper reprint of it. If you've been in my study, you've probably seen it. It is of a soldier, and you can see he's a soldier. You can tell he's wearing a uniform, and you only see the silhouette from the side, and it's in front of a sunset. Now, That was my dad in 1955. Somebody just snapped a picture of him, and it couldn't have been set up any better. But I I love the picture. My dad's with the Lord now. But it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of him every day when I come in and I see it. But it also reminds me that we are soldiers in a battle. And both of those are good reminders to me. Again, though, that's a sign. That's not my dad. It's not a real soldier. It's just something that points to a truth. The Westminster Confession talks about sensible signs. Now, all that it doesn't mean signs that make common sense, it's, but it's saying that we can use our senses and experience. So with the Lord's Supper, we, we can feel them. We can taste them. We can smell them. And so in that sense, <coughs> we experience them. It's not just saying, remember Jesus' body. Remember his blood shed for us. It goes beyond it to where we use senses that God has given to us so that it... it, it gives us a little bit more of the reality of it. 
Now, if you remember the definition, it said it's a sign and seal. I preached a whole sermon on that uh, this last year. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but let me just give you uh, two main points uh, from it. And it was when I deliberately, and I confessed to using bad grammar in those points, but they were these. The first one, it's a seal because he can't not keep his promises because of who he is. And then the second point is he wouldn't not keep his promises. So when we come to the table, we are reminded of how faithful he is to all of the promises in the book, the book that he left with us. And that in and of itself should be an encouragement, but not just because we, re- we remember it, but because it's sealed. Because we say, you know what? He said he would do these things, and he did them. He said he would die, and he would rise from the dead, And then he did it. So all of those other things that he said he would do, we can count on as well. There's another aspect that we know of the Lord's Supper, and that is there is a security in this supper for believers, for those trusting in Christ alone for eternal life. At Christmas, uh, we made for my mom, a a book of memories. And we had our children uh, write remembrances, things they remembered and uh, loved about her and so on. And we put them all in book. But we also had a bunch of pictures. And so we looked through uh, just boxes and boxes of pictures to decide which ones a limited number to include. One of the things that I noticed was when we came to holidays and gatherings, there was an awful lot of pictures of big tables of food with people sitting around those tables, some of them with us, some of them not with us. But these tables of food that my mom had lovingly prepared, and we included some of those, But you know what? There's a security in looking at that. It's like, oh, look at that. And that's what this table's like. When we we come to it for our family, there should be a, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, here we are again. Some who were here last time aren't here this time. But one day we all will be again. And so there's a wonderful security as we see these elements. There should be. Going back to baptism in the Great Commission, we're told to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We remember that part about baptism. But then there's another phrase right after that. Lo, I'm with you always even to the very end. So there's a security in that as well. Connected with these sacraments is that promise that it is God with us. He's always with us. And 
He will continue to be with us. Now, there's one other thing. And that is, in in one sense, there is an incompleteness with this table. I told you earlier about the various cups that uh, they would have had during Passover. And I said there was a fourth cup left untouched. But it won't always be untouched. You see, he, he said, I'm not going to drink again until, until I come. And so when we partake of this table, we remember what he has done until he comes. So there's one sense that this is temporary, at least in this form, but wonderfully temporary. Some of you are near glory. Don't worry, it's not something I know. But I just know that all of us who are in Christ, every day we are coming closer to glory. But in the meantime, we are in a world where there are trials, where there are difficulties, where there are disappointments, And so Jesus says, here's where I want you to come. And I want you to rest just for a moment because I know there is hard things in this world. Rest just a moment. Take just a little bit of food. Now notice, even even by the elements, there's no pretense that this will fill us up. We will all eat lunch later today, I presume, because this is such a tiny amount. And yet, he's saying, come and rest for that moment. It's not meant to make us so we're never hungry anymore. In fact, what it ought to do is cause us, after this service, to rise up and say, that was a great taste a great reminder, but I can't wait for the real meal when we're all together again and when we are united with him. Then he will drink of that cup. What glory that will be. He has told us about this table He did so in various passages, one of them being 1 Corinthians 11. And I read to you uh, basically the words of institution, how Jesus instituted it. But Paul adds something. He says, therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, that may sound harsh. It ought not to come across as harsh. 
it is a gracious warning for us, a gracious invitation for us. When he talks about not eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, he's not saying that in and of yourselves you can ever be worthy, but if you're trusting in Christ alone, that's where your worthiness is. But it's also a caution that we not make fun of this table. Now, you may say, I would never make fun of the table. Well, of course, not deliberately. But he says, if, if, you, if you come, if you've got sin that you're not willing to deal with, not, not whether you sin or not, that's not the issue. But if you've got sin that you love more than you love him, you're not willing to repent of it, then don't make a mockery of this table by pretending that you're coming under his blood. It would be better not to take. But the better thing is to deal with that sin, even today, even before the elements come to you. Or if you find yourself here, and I believe every service this is the case, and you've never committed your life to Christ, I'm so glad you're here. But until, until you commit your life to Christ, until you receive him and trust in him alone, not in your own works, but in him alone, until you've done that, then I want you to watch and I want you to observe and I want you to look forward to this meal. But don't make a mockery of it. It's not about who sees you doing what. It's about the one who sees our hearts. And so he gives us that wonderful caution as well. And if you have young children that have never publicly professed their faith and united with the church yet, it's not time yet for them. There'll be a time. Explain it to them. Let them have real anticipation about the day when they will partake. Let's bow together and ask God to set these elements apart for his use. Lord, how we thank you for the, this supper. It's just a taste, and yet we pray that spiritually we will be satisfied, even though physically we won't. And that, will, that physical lack of satisfaction will re- remind us that it's an unfinished meal that one day we will take with you. Give us that anticipation. And we ask you to set these elements apart from their normal everyday use. We could buy these at the grocery store. We could have them on our table, but it's different here, Lord. We want you to use them spiritually with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.